0: All right. I hope you got your Bibles open at Mark chapter one verse sixteen. We're looking at a day in Jesus' life, the first day, really, when he called his disciples, the first four disciples, and uh, the message titled tonight is called "One Day." John, you if you're watching, "One Day," "One Day," mate, "One Day." It's one of those sayings we have in Australia. Um, I remember watching a. Uh, Ad on TV when I was a young boy growing up, uh, we lived just uh, up the road from a um, a place called Dream World, which is an mu- amusement park, and uh, it was a fantastic place to go to. We went there once, I think, as a family when I was growing up, and it uh, its slogan was, "Don't say one day that day will never come." You know, we often sort of think, you know, well, I'll get, uh, I'll I'll lose that weight one day, or I'll I'll, I'll go for that job one day or I'll, you know, learn how to play the piano or whatever one day. I'll do it one day, you know. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. One day, one day. We're looking at Jesus' authority today, and over this whole day, we can see that Jesus is showing authority in different realms, in different aspects, and in different scenes. And to start with, what we see is that Jesus shows extreme authority in the connections of our call. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means that Jesus called you. He chose you. All right. We often sometimes say, that I, I chose to follow Jesus on this day. You know, but it's actually Jesus who chose you, who called you. In this moment, on this day, this isn't the first time that Jesus met some of these disciples. In fact, John's Gospel records a time about a year before this actual event on this day took place, where Jesus met two of these disciples. Andrew. And John, and Andrew and John happened to be disciples of John the Baptist. And they, they saw Jesus coming and, and John the Baptist said to them, hey, this is, this, is the Je- this is the Christ that I'm talking about. That's him. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so Andrew and John went up to Jesus and said, hey, where are you staying, Jesus? We want to hear what you've got to say. And so they stayed with Jesus for one night. But it seems that they must have gone back to their own business of fishing. So Andrew, fishing with his brother Simon, who's later called Peter. And John, with his brother James, they've just finished fishing, by the looks of things. Or they're just getting ready for fishing. And so here, one day, we see Jesus showing his authority in the connections of the call. Now, I don't know if you can remember the, the day or the hour or the date when Jesus called you. I know some people can. I know mine was a Thursday. I just have no idea what the date was. So I can't like have a Christian born again birthday like some people can. Well done to you. But I can't do that. But I know it was a Thursday. Uh, but I remember when Jesus called me. You know, I had to let go of a whole lot of things off of my chest, off of my heart. and And he called me. He me. Now, this day, this calling is, is I want to talk about the connections of the call,? okay? because there's so much to talk about with it, but the connections itself. Mark paints a picture for us here that the other gospels don't really paint so much. He wants us to see something or notice something about Simon and Andrew's call and James and John's call. He's specific about it, and it's, and it's what Jesus is looking at. When he calls them. And so if you notice, I don't know if you notice, but in verse 16, it says at the end of verse 16, it says he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. (laughs) For they fished for a living, right? For they fished for a living. But he, he doesn't say that about James and John. They're doing something different. But he notices that Andrew and Simon are throwing a net into the water. You know, Jesus says to Andrew and Simon, follow me and I'll teach you or I'll show you how to catch people. I'll make you fishes of men in another version. I'll make you fishes of men. And so here's Jesus' call to them, follow me and I'll show you how to catch people instead of fish. And here they were throwing their net out. And so it's a job of an evangelist. And we see here Andrew and Simon, who's later to be called Peter. Now, Andrew, Andrew is actually an evangelist. If you look in John's Gospel, like I mentioned before, about Simon, sorry, not Simon, John and Andrew being disciples of John the Baptist, well, it's Andrew who tells his brother Peter about Jesus. And he brings, brings Peter to Jesus one day and he sees, and Jesus sees Peter, uh, Simon, and he says, you're Simon. Your name's going to be Peter or Cephas, K- the rock. You know, and there's this interaction that's already happened. But here on this day, Jesus sees, has, and he's already been watching Andrew and Peter, and he sees evangelists in the making. He sees what they're doing, and he says, you're going to be fishers of men. I'll show you how to do that. And a little bit further down, he sees um, James and John. And they're not throwing their fish net in the water. In fact, they're repairing their nets. And this word for repairing their nets, it's actually just they're just getting their nets ready. They're adjusting them, making them ready for something. And it's interesting because the, the job that we look years down the track in the rest of the New Testament, what James and John end up doing is they're actually preparing the nets. They're preparing the church. They're preparing. They're like pastorally caring for the churches, and they're writing letters. Well, John's writing letters to the church, and, and, and Revelation is written by John as well. And James is the first disciple to actually be martyred for his faith. And he's a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And they're just just preparing the net. They're preparing the people, the structure of the church, the governance of the church, and setting it up so that more people can be caught by this good news that Jesus has. Jesus reveals his authority over the connections of his call. God will use your calling as well your past and your personality in your call as well uh, I don't know if you've noticed that before, but uh, when Jesus calls somebody he doesn't change their personality he uses what's there and he, and he just breathes life into it. He takes that, that passion of Peter, that maybe obtuse kind of personality that tends to put his foot in his mouth and he turns that into an amazing evangelist that preaches his very first sermon in the book of Acts, and thousands of people give their hearts to God. That's amazing. I look back at my life and I think, you know what? God's God's been working in the the background of my life, and he's shaped my personality to be like that and to to be creative like that and to to be quiet like that and to get alongside and serve like that. You know, even being a draftsman, I remember working as a draftsman. I know Dale, you're a draftsman as well. You know, you draw things, you design things that, don't actually happen, and here we are we 're planting a church we had an idea that God called us here, and you know we we pray things into in you know before they even happen we believe before they even happen um, someone else might do the work but um, yeah, you can see in in your past that God has been shaping you for a reason, and then it comes to the call where he calls you to be one of his disciples he doesn't just throw all that past away, he uses it and he redeems it. Even the bad stuff, he uses it and he redeems it. He has authority to do that. And so down the page a bit further in verses 21 to 22, we see Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to preach. Now, it's common for a rabbi to be invited to preach at a synagogue. Now, a synagogue is not the temple, right? It's not Jerusalem, it's not a big temple, it's not where sacrifices are made. It's, it's basically like church service sort of thing. Uh, where there has to be 10 believing Jewish males in, uh, in the town for there to be a synagogue in that town. And uh, so in Capernaum, there's this, there's this uh, synagogue and it's the Sabbath day. So it's somewhere between sunset Friday night and sun uh, sunset Saturday night. And so here's Jesus, so it's on a Saturday. They come into the synagogue, and Jesus began to teach. So he's being invited to teach. Now, we don't know what he taught. We don't know the content, content of what he taught. I'd love to know sometimes. But Mark doesn't think that's important. What Mark thinks is important is the authority that Jesus shows in his comprehension of the human heart and how to speak To human beings. It says in verse 22 the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. You know, there was this amazement, this awestruck, dumbfounded response from the people that were at the synagogue that day, because Jesus taught them unlike the religious people of the day. You know, they would quote notable rabbis and uh, intellectuals of their day, and, and they'd make themselves sound good. But Jesus, he actually never references that I can see any other rabbis. Uh, he, he references himself and God and the Word of God and the Old Testament. He speaks with such authority, Jesus' teaching resonates with the human heart, and it still does. Jesus' teaching resonates with the human heart and the human condition because we have a Savior who understands what it's like to be human. You know, he's just come out of the wilderness being tempted by the devil. His his humanity is at the forefront of who he is. I mean, he's he's a man. Jesus is a man, fully God no doubt, but he has to be fully man in order to, to empathise with us and sympathise with our weaknesses. His insight into, the, into humanity and life is profound, and it still is. It resonates with real people today. You know, if we're to be carriers of hope in our society, then we need to actually pick up Jesus' teaching and carry it into our communities, and our contexts because Jesus' teaching still is relevant. Truth lies in the words of Jesus. And Jesus quotes no other rabbi or intellectual. He just speaks with authority. You know, and it's just something to listen to someone with authority. It just makes sense to the hearers, and they just are amazed at the way Jesus is teaching them. Do we lose that? I don't know. Have you ever opened up the word of God and not been amazed? Have you ever read something that Jesus said about something and just thought, ah, yeah, I guess that's all right. Yeah, I know that. I know that. You know we, we know, we know that. It's true. Here are the people in the synagogue and they're listening to the very words, the voice of God. Hanging on every word that drips from the Savior's mouth. They don't know who this guy is, but there's something special about what he's teaching. It's amazing. He's got such comprehension into the human heart. May we never, never be bored with the teaching of Jesus. Let us never take it for granted, but let us just be hungry For more of what Jesus has to say about something. Because if you've got an issue in life, it's easy to Google about it. It's easy to ask someone else and to find books about it. And it's not always our first response to go to Jesus about it. What does Jesus have to say about this? What does Jesus have to say about that? What does Jesus have to say about the problems that our world is facing today? What does Jesus have to say about marriage, about murder, about divorce, about enemies, about whatever? Let's look at what Jesus has to say about it and be amazed that it actually resonates with the human condition. Let's move on, shall we? Let's continue on with our day. Let's move on and here's Jesus to at the synagogue. He's teaching and as he's teaching, verse 23 down to verse 28, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Here's Jesus revealing another element, another mark of his authority. The demonstration of his authority in the command of Jesus over demons. Demons can't stand Jesus' teaching. Oh, you might, no, Pastor Ian, you think that it's the teaching. No, no, it's Jesus' power. It's because Jesus is God that he tells this demon to leave and it leaves. No, no, no. Let's read on. Verse 27. After the demon's been thrown out of the man. Verse 27. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. What sort of teaching is this? It has such authority. The teaching has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. You see, here's Jesus showing that his teaching, like his, his declaration and his, and his actions, his demonstration, line up. He, he's practicing what he's preaching. What his words are saying lines up with what, he's, what he believes. His teaching and his actions line up. Here's Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And it's while he's teaching this truths, these truths of the kingdom, these truths of God, these truths of who he is, and, and that maybe he was trying to say to the people at the synagogue, repent and believe, like he was saying just as he came out of the wilderness experience. Maybe he was telling people to repent and believe the good news. And the demon doesn't like that. Demons hate the truth. Demons cannot stand the truth. I don't know if you've had any experience with demons. Not many Wesleyans have. Um, I'm not sure if I have either directly. But I wanted to share with you a uh, story, which I could share, uh, of, of an encounter that I had with an evil spirit. Uh, I, was pr- I was part of a team. We were praying in healing rooms for a client. And this client came in and they were struggling to believe that God loved them, to believe that God approved of them uh, and to believe that they were actually God's child, God's loving child, uh, God's child that God loved. Mm-hmm. And we shared the gospel. We shared, we shared that God loves them. And that it's in, and, but this person, they, their demeanour changed and uh, the way they behaved began to change and it became evident one of the other uh, people in the team realized that this person uh, was now being overcome by an evil spirit now i don't know where you sit with that and and at that point in time i wasn't sure where i sat with that either i'm a pastor and you think oh he's a professional he does it all the time that's not true but here i was sitting in this room and here's a person, a normal human being in front of me that's being lied to and influenced by an evil spirit, a demonic power in their life. And I didn't know what to do. And, and God just kind of put in my head, just start reading scriptures about, about the blood of Jesus. So I did. So I found all these scriptures about how, how Jesus died on the cross and his blood saved us. You know, it's by grace you've been saved. By faith not by works so that no one can boast, you know. And, and all these other scriptures kept popping into my mind, like um, that um, Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, and uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and, and all these other scriptures coming back to mind, and, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, you know, in Romans 8. And just all these scriptures, and I just kept reading these scriptures, and I noticed that as I was reading these scriptures, Yes, I was freaking out on the inside, but this evil spirit was overtaking this person, and it was just getting louder and louder and louder, until eventually the evil spirit couldn't stand the truth anymore, and it left. It was a, it was such an amazing experience, and, and this person, they they came and they were healed. Jesus healed them by His truth, by the truth that's in the scriptures. It. It's the teaching of God that healed this, this person that was suffering. And they went away set free. They went away knowing that they were loved. It turns out that they had some kind of spirit of religion in their life. that was over, overtaking them. overcome. It was, it was, it was just feeding them a lie. And now they were delivered from it. And it's amazing to see that because it's so humbling to see that. And what a privilege to walk alongside Another human being going through something terrible and help them through it just using the teaching of God. It's amazing. Amazing. But demons can't stand the teaching of Jesus. They can't stand the truth. And this demon cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus? We know who you are. We know you're the Son of God. We know you're the Holy One. And we kind of think, Well, sure, great. Demons, come on, tell everyone that Jesus is the Christ. That's what we're trying to do here in Australia, right? We're trying to. Share with the world that Jesus is God, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the Holy One. Yeah, that's good news. That's free press right there. But Jesus tells the demon to shh, shh, be quiet. Come out of the man. And he does. Makes me kind of think what sort of teaching was that synagogue delivering if there was an evil spirit quite happy to be there. Makes me think about churches too. Let's keep speaking the truth. Let's keep declaring the truth of Jesus. Because Jesus has authority to command evil spirits. Demons must leave at Jesus' command. Jesus is the superior power. Not you. Not me. Not any religious symbol or ritual or mumbo-jumbo formula, words. Jesus. Jesus is the superior power. It says in Philippians 2, 10 to 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has the authority. It was the teaching of Jesus that qualified the command of jesus over the demon and then like you would imagine verse 28 comes around the news about jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of galilee jesus is getting famous this is not taking days or weeks this is taking hours we're still in the same day and so fame spreads of who jesus or what jesus is doing could this could this be god's messiah So verse 29, we we see another element of Jesus' authority, and it's his compassion that drives him. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. Now, here, can we just stop there? Here, they're not actually asking Jesus to do anything. In fact, in the Greek, it's he's just, he's just they're just telling Jesus that she's unwell. It's almost like there might, be, there might be the nuance that, you know, Jesus, we would serve you right now with food and everything, but Peter's mother-in-law is sick. It's almost like that. I don't know if that's true. I want to give the disciples credit for that. But they're not asking Jesus to do anything. They're just telling him what the problem is. And it's a problem. It's not a big problem. It's a fever. It's a high fever. It's something that she had probably come through eventually. I mean, no one wants to have a high fever, but it's not a big deal like a demon in somebody, right? But Jesus, he has such authority that he isn't worried too much about if it's a small problem or a large problem. He is just driven by compassion to heal this woman and raise her up. And he goes to her as the servant of God in complete authority He goes to her and we're told that uh, in verse 31, he went to her bedside, took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her. That's an amazing miracle. And out of gratitude, she begins to serve the servant of God. The servant, the, the serving Christ is now being served by the person that he served. And that's the way of the kingdom, you know. If we're going to be carriers of hope in this world, uh, sitting around and waiting for someone else to do something for us is not actually going to do anything. We should be driven by and compelled by compassion for others. Whatever their ailment, small that it might be, God wants to use you and I to actually meet the needs of others for his glory and he wants us to go and pray for people. He wants us to call people up over the phone and say, you know what, can I pray for your healing right now? You know, oh, you've got a fever, you've got a headache. Let's pray. You know, he wants us to actually serve others. And you know what? <coughs> we're, we're going through this whole day so far, and I don't see one moment where Jesus asks for money. One moment where Jesus asks for anything in return. He's just a server. He just serves and serves and serves and serves. Jesus has compassion. Then we get to verse uh, 32. Let's, let's keep going through the day, shall we? That evening, we're still at Peter's home, right? That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick and with various diseases and he cast out many demons but because the demons knew who he was he did not allow them to speak here we go again is jesus is doing all the work jesus is doing all the work he's at peter's home and all of a sudden all this fame has spread around those surrounding areas and people have had to wait till sunset because it's the sabbath and you can't carry something on the sabbath So they're all honouring the law of the Sabbath by waiting. So you can imagine all these people at home with their sick relatives or their demon-possessed friends, and they can't go anywhere because they can't carry them. And they wait until sunset, and then all of a sudden, in the darkness, they can carry their friend to where Jesus is because they've heard that Jesus is there. Now, Capernaum is um, the most flourishing city in, uh, around the lake. Capernaum is the most flourishing city on the lake and the largest at that time. And Jesus here shows control over the crowd and over the demons. He does amazing things. It is just him. The whole, the whole town comes to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door. That's a, that's a big statement. That's 5,000 people probably at least at the door with sick people that are in need. That was a a long night. This is sunset. Could you imagine? There's no mention of the disciples healing anybody or anyone else healing anybody. So they all had to line up to see that one man, to see Jesus. That was a long night. That is hard work. And Jesus never complains. There's no mention of any complaining. There's no mention of anyone being turned away. It says, all. He cast out many demons. He, he healed many people who were sick with various diseases. Because, and because the demons knew who he was, he told them to be quiet. He showed control over the demons. and He showed control over the crowd. He knew that he was the servant of God that came to serve, not to be served. And here he was showing it to his disciples. Remember, he called them and he said, follow me. In other words, this is day one. Look what I do. This is one day when I can show you. And there'll come a day where you can do it too. One day. One day. One day. That's the whole purpose of this. This whole gospel of Mark is to, is to help us as Christians to grasp the mentality, to grasp the idea that God wants to use us, just like he's using Jesus. That sounds almost heretical, but God is using Jesus. The Father is using Jesus. And after this day of healing and casting out demons and teaching, Jesus goes to bed sometime in the middle of the night. We don't know. But it says in verse 35 that he arose Before daybreak, the next morning he got up and he went to a solitary place, an isolated place to pray. And later Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And here's Jesus. And he responds to them saying, we must go back to the crowds and give them what they need. We need more spectacular miracles. We need more spectacular healings. We need to see the demons cast out, and we want crowds as big as we possibly can. Oh, no, he doesn't say that. Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Now, it's interesting here because Jesus shows his authority as the one who <laughs> who, who preaches. And, and, and here we see Jesus getting away from the crowds, getting away from the popularity contest, almost, and refining and recentering his call that his father gave on him. And so he gets away in utter seclusion and communion to clarify the call that God the father had put on him. The disciples, however, come and interrupt that, and they're reacting to the crowds. And the crowd the crowd's needs and possibly even the fame and but Jesus he he centers on his call and his purpose you know it's easy for us to get caught into the trap that just because there are crowds we are doing the right thing we must recenter on what god has called each of us to do There's no use trying to do something that someone else has done. God has called you and me specifically to do things for him and to serve him and live for him. It's funny because in verse 16, Jesus goes looking for disciples. And in verse 36, the disciples go looking for him. (laughs) He goes looking for disciples to do the will of God and the disciples go looking for him to do the will of the crowd. It's really important that if we're going to be carriers of hope in this world, that we just don't do what the crowd wants us to do. Needy that it might be. Demon possessed that they might be. Sick that it might be. We need to recalibrate our call that God has given us. And Jesus said to the disciples a little bit later on, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You know, and Jesus said in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. But what call has God placed on your heart? What is, what is your purpose in the church? Because it might, it might not be fantastic. It might not be crowd, crowds everywhere. It, it might just be something simple. But, but take a look at where he called you from. And I guarantee that he'll use that and your personality and, and teach you how to be fisher of people, how to reach people for him, or, or how to prepare the nets You could be a worker behind the scenes like James and John. So let's do a quick recap. Jesus demonstrates his authority through the connections of the core, through his comprehension of the human heart, through the command over evil forces, through his compassion that moves him to do good, to serve, Through his control over darkness, in darkness, and through his communion with the Father that clarifies his call. Jesus carried authority from the Father. To do all that he did, to say all that he did, Jesus did it as a man. Yeah, he is fully God. And he is fully man. And the things that he said and the things that he did, he did under the authority of the Father. John 5, verse 17. And if you're hanging on with us here on, on, uh, on Facebook, well done for sticking out at it. There's just some good stuff to share with you. So be patient. John 5, verse 19. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And a little bit later in verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. He is Jesus, a man under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from his baptism, from, from his birth. And led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness <clears throat> to overcome evil, to overcome temptation for you and for me. And then into the world to begin ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. That tells me that there's hope for you and me to live that way too. You know, sometimes we pray, God, do something amazing in our in our communities. do Bring a revival. Do something in my family's life. Do something in... But maybe, just maybe, God wants you and I one day to step out in faith for him. Eventually, we see the disciples stepping in the shoes of Jesus. We see even Peter walking on water. Not that we want miracles. You see, the main thing that Jesus was trying to teach here is that it's not about the miracles. It's not about the casting out the demons. It's not about healing the sick. It's not about that. After Jesus spent time with God in prayer, in solitary refinement, he said, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I've come. I've come to preach. I've come to preach. The signs and the wonders will follow. I've come to preach. And he's teaching his disciples that's that's what it takes to be a fisher of men, fisher of people. One day, I don't know if you've ever said that, Yeah, Jesus, one day, one day I'll do that. One day I'll place my hand on someone and and pray healing over them. One day, one day. Well, don't just say one day. That day will never come. Ask Jesus to give you the strength to do it today. You know, if there's someone in your family under your roof right now, you can just, if they're sick or in need of some sort of healing, you can put your hand on them. It's not your authority. It's the authority of God in you. It's the Word of God that is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it's alive and active today. You can use the teaching of God to to influence your life as well and the lives of those around you. We're going to pray, and then we'll finish with uh, one last song together. All right? Don't forget, you're welcome to join us on our Zoom, Zoom room after the service. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you so much that uh, you are a God who is able to pack so much into one day. And God, we, um, we just stand back in awe, really, and think, wow, that's amazing. But God, we just thank you so much that you are with us in our days, each and every one of our days. And, and Lord, at the moment, we kind of are stuck at home. We can't get out. But Lord, we know that you can use us to influence the people around us, that we can be carriers of hope, we can be carriers of your authority in the different realms of our lives, Lord God. That, Lord, you want us to follow Jesus and that he's the one who will shape us to be fishers of people. And, and Lord, he's the one who will uh, empower us to do the works that you want us to do. And, God, we just thank you so much that you're not finished with us that you've called us and you're shaping us to be more like Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence in us, enabling us to live that way. God, encourage our hearts to trust you this week, to live for you, to be carriers of hope, to serve others willingly and to be moved by compassion, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.